What's up, guys? It's the Blue Bloods, and we are back. Just up front, we apologize for the audio. Your boy's traveling through Missouri somewhere, so if, if I just go blank, just tell Brandon to come out here and look for me. You guys can help him. But we're back after a wild, exciting, upset bill week 10. We had probably arguably the game of the year. The Mormon Manziel dominated on the blue turf. And I got some votes to pick with Brandon about Jim Harbaugh and that hot seat that Brandon can never see to put them on. We're going to kick it off with pick six recap. We're recapping the six biggest games of the weekend, guys. And then we're wrapping you up with a small segment in which we're going to talk some COVID-related SEC news that broke today that really personally affected me and ruined my day-to-day as much as it could. And same for Brandon, and he gives him an excuse and his LSU Tigers an excuse to get out of the beatdown and, and this weekend against the Alabama Crimson Tide. We have a full episode today, guys, so let's go ahead and kick it off. Brandon, we're going to start on Friday night on the blue turf. The number nine BYU Cougars dominated, destroyed, beat down the number 21 Boise State Broncos 51-17. to And I'm wondering if you can find it in your heart to give these Cougars any respect now. Look, I'll be honest with you. I've been thinking about this long and hard. And while I do not want to um, give BYU any credit, and I don't want to call them good, I think they're really good. I think this is a really good football team. Um, They beat a ranked opponent, which is nice. You know, I've been saying they haven't played anybody. I still don't know if Boise State is anybody, but they they beat them in Idaho. So I'll I'll give them that. That was a pretty tough road matchup, you know, even if this team was 2-0 going into this weekend. Um, One of the things I took away from this, Zach, though, is Zach Wilson, how, how tall do you think he is? I would say probably around six foot. I mean, he doesn't look very big on – like, it, during the game, like, his size doesn't really stand off the screen. Like, you watch someone like Trevor Lawrence or Kyle Trask, you're like, that's a big dude. But, I mean, I don't really think – I would say somewhere around six foot, maybe a little bit less, if that. Dude, I thought he was short as well. He This this guy, he's six foot three, Zach. Uh, he, he's, big, he's a big guy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, well, you know, maybe – I gotta look up. Do we know the average size of the BYU offensive line? Because they must be like six nine, six ten. They, they just uh, got a bunch of Shaquille O'Neal's playing left tackle. <laughs> I'm look. I, I don't know the average size of of a Mormon, but but we can probably do a little bit of research and, and figure this out. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I don't know, dude. But I mean, and you look at this game, and I mean, can you remember? I mean, Boise State played teams like Georgia. I mean, they've, they've played Oklahoma in, in um, the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, they've been in big games in their recent history. Can you ever remember them being dominated like this? No, I can't, and, and or not in recent memory at least. I mean, they've, they've been consistently good for the past, what, 15 years now? Yeah, I would, I would think so. I mean, 
I guess the biggest blowout I could think of is the bowl game, but that was Chris uh, Peterson's revenge game against Boise State. It was his retirement game against Washington. Boise State was beat up at that point. Washington was looking to prove a point. They lost 38-7. to But, I mean, to a, they were down 45-3, to Brandon, in the fourth quarter. It's bad. I mean, it looked like it looked like Tampa Bay playing New Orleans. Hey, we don't. We you know you did have to put in a Saints brag. I mean, Slant Boy had a good game. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, but Brandon Zach Wilson is he a legit Heisman contender for you? Because I think he has to be. I mean, he's on pace to set the highest QB rating in college ball history at over two hundred. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think. I don't know how you can count him out at this point in the season. I mean, BYU is 8-0. I don't understand how BYU isn't. I mean, and I know, you know, we can pull out the tapes. We can go to last week when I said I don't think BYU deserves to be a top-10 team. They're 8-0. If you're 8-0, no matter what team you are, no matter who you're playing in the NCAA, if you're playing Division One football, you deserve to be in the top-10. Um, if you're dominating teams the way that BYU's been dominating teams, you certainly deserve to be in the top ten. And in my honest opinion, I think BYU should should. And I get I get why they're ranked behind Cincinnati. I get why they're ranked behind these other teams because they're not in the conference. But man, at some point you have to you have to recognize that this is this team is the real deal. And and I don't know. I personally don't think they deserve to be ranked behind a team like Cincinnati. No, uh, I mean, so I think Cincinnati, they're in a very similar boat as BYU. They've been dominating their conference opponents. They've been doing what they can. I mean, they have stars. They have a good defense. They have a quarterback that is garnering, is garnering attention. They, and I just think Cincinnati benefits from them being ranked ahead of BYU to start with. Because I don't think you, you could say – you can't point to one performance from Cincinnati – and say this is the performance that makes BYU a better team, you know? I mean, Cincinnati this weekend won again. Like, I think they held Houston to another 10 points. It's like the fourth straight week they've held their opponent to 10, to 10 points or less. That's dominating performances. And I don't think you could argue their opponents are any lesser value than the opponents BYU face. I mean, I'm taking Memphis over Texas State. And I think we both can agree on that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, but Brandon, another game where he's pushing 80% completion percentage. He had over 350 yards, three total touchdowns. That brings his total to the year, Brandon. 21 passing touchdowns, two interceptions, and I believe he's pushing 10 rushing touchdowns as well. Yeah, and, and, you know, to go back to the Heisman point, Zach, how do you count him out when he's had this kind of performance and other players – and I get it. You have to you have to play with the cards you're dealt in, in this type of season. But when other players are having to take time off because of COVID, because of injuries, no matter what it is, I mean, Zach Wilson has played eight games healthy and has been dominant in all eight. Yeah, and Brandon, you know, what separates this BYU team from, I think, other group of five teams that have made runs in the past, and it's also something that's going for Cincinnati as well. Is this defense has been spectacular and deserves their respect as well. I mean, they dominated Boise State until the backups came in early in the fourth. They allowed 310 yards on paper, but over 130 of those yards came late in the fourth quarter when when uh, Boise State went on two big drives late in the game against the backups. I mean, 
this defense, Brandon, had four players with six or more tackles and three players with nine tackles. That just shows that it's not just one person. I mean, you could say it's a no-name defense, but everybody does their job. Everyone plays physical, and everyone can make a play at any time. You're absolutely right, and I mean, this is the same kind. Of, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say the same defense. This is a very similar situation to what we saw in Utah last season. I mean, name one player off of that Utah defense from last year that was so good. I don't know one. Um, it, 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 it really is just Bradley Adnay, and that's because we learned about him at the Senior Bowl because he right. dominated the Senior Bowl. Exactly, and so it's just one of these situations where the teams or where this team is so locked in on that teammate mentality, that that play is one unit mentality. They don't go out and talk to the media, and that's that's what BYU is all about. They don't go out and talk to the media. They don't they don't cause any kind of stir. They just they play football and they're good at it. So I mean, how how can you how can you uh, look down on that? I don't think you can. And I mean, we're talking about Zach Wilson a lot. I get it. But what about the running game of the Cougars? Too? I mean, Tyler um, Algar he had over 120 yards rushing, two touchdowns, but he was averaging over nine, almost nine yards a carry. And then their backup running back is going for 65 and a touchdown over averaging over eight yards a carry. And you have Zach Wilson, so you've got to defend Zach Wilson's passing game. You've got to respect his legs. But then you have two, three running backs that can get you eight, nine, ten yards a carry on every on any on any down that you give it to him. I mean, how in the world do you plan on stopping this offense? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that you can. I mean, they, they were definitely dominant this weekend, and I, I think that, I think we have a lot more to look forward to out of this, out of this BYU team. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And for Boise State guys, let's, I, we're not saying they're trash or garbage. I mean, they well, had a third. Str- I, no, I mean they had a third string <laughs> quarterback, Brandon. I mean, Cade Finnegan came in after uh, Jack Spears had to leave. Uh, Hank Bachmar was not available due to whatever reason. It was undisclosed again. And Finnegan puts up a 25 QBR, Brandon, 182 in the air, a touchdown, two picks. I expect Boise State to make a strong run when they get healthy. But experience and talent is a real problem at quarterback. It's BYU team with no experience. Right. No, I mean, look. I to a certain uh, to a certain extent I agree with you there, but I mean it it really is especially in this type of season Zach it's next man up and so I don't I don't know if we can really give I agree. I don't know what excuse there is to lose that badly. I, I'll give you that. I mean, and if BYU puts the game on this kid's shoulders, I mean they they hold Boise State to two point three yards per carry, and their long rush is ten yards. Andrew uh, Van Buren couldn't generate any offense by himself. I mean, Boise State right now, I think overall healthy is a better team than what they showed last night. But like you said, in a COVID riddle year, we've seen backup after backup um, step up in, when their name is called. And therefore, this isn't an excuse, but Boise State did not put up a performance that I think anybody expected Friday night. And for me, Brandon, my takeaway from this game, BYU showed the country they have a complete team. They can pass it. They can run it. They block well. They tackle well. They have playmakers on both sides of the ball. This team is on a mission to compete for a championship. And for Boise State, it's just get healthy and survive in this COVID year and look for 2021, I believe. No, you're absolutely right.
But be, guys, BYU has a bye week finally. They've been rolling week after week after week, Brandon. But they get a bye week. They really have two bye weeks, Brandon, because they get to face North Alabama after their bye week. So two they, straight bye weeks pretty much for BYU. They almost beat Southern Miss. That's a, how okay. What would the score be if BYU played Southern Miss? Oh, uh, I mean, it, this might be like the first hundred point game that we've seen in like what seventy five <laughs> years. Frank Gore Jr. can't save the Golden Eagles against this BYU team. Um, but guys, Boise State faces Colorado State in their next game. But Brandon, let's move on here to another. I think it was a relatively. It wasn't a great game, I would say, but it, it was an important game. We had the Oregon Ducks, Brandon, pulling out the win over the Stanford Cardinal, 35-14. to 14. It was Tyler Shaw's debut. We got to see C.J. Verdell again. It was, what is Oregon going to be after all these opt-outs? And I think they did some really good things, but I saw some real holes in the Ducks game, Brandon. Yeah, and look, I'm – I'm not one to brag normally. Everyone knows me. I'm very humble. Um, I'm pretty sure I called this score for this game. Uh, I have no idea. You don't have to look at your notes on that one. I have yeah, zero I'm idea. Sure. I, I, I keep up with my score. But, yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, this is – you know, this is one of those games where it's like it, it, everybody predicted this to happen. Unless you were a Stanford fan or someone who was looking to lose money this past weekend – Everyone saw Oregon beating Stanford by a relatively easy, like a pretty large margin. And it's exactly what happened. I mean, Oregon outplayed them. I mean, Brandon, nine for 11 on third down conversions for the Ducks. I mean, it's incredible. And if you're the Stanford defense, you have to take a real hard look in the mirror after that. Well, it's not even the Stanford defense. I mean, Oregon gave that offense two turnovers. But also, Stanford had 10 penalties for 100 yards. And they, got, they won the time of possession. They were 100% on fourth down conversions, Brandon. They got over 400 yards, um, you know, in the game. But they just – they never finished their drives, Brandon. They couldn't take those long, big drives and make points. I mean, Brandon, they missed four field goals. Right. Well, now, what I'm, what I'm wondering is how they won this time of possession. Because if you look at the stats, I mean, on paper, nothing shows that they would have won this time of possession. They threw 26 total passes, and they ran the ball 31 times. Uh, you, only, you only get 57 plays off. Um, you only get 57 plays off when you have the ball for over, over almost 32 minutes. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean you, look at, you look at the end of the game, they – they had the ball for about three minutes. Their touchdown drive only lasted a minute. But a lot of these came on those missed field goal drives. It was eight plays for almost four minutes time of possession, 66 yards. They had 11 plays, 60 yards for almost seven minutes, Brandon. And then you look at the missed field goals in the first half. They had two minutes of possession, missed field goal. They had four minutes of possession, missed field goal to start the game. I mean, it was just a lot of – Stanford going down the field, keeping the ball, but not turning them into points. And then Oregon, on their drives, they scored really quick. And if they didn't, they didn't have a short, quick drive where they didn't make the right plays. And that's where I wanted to get into Tyler Shaw's performance. Right? I mean, I thought he looked decent, but I don't think he looked spectacular. I, I think it's a, right now, I think he's a huge down in the justice system. 
Well, it's it's hard to live up to that. It's hard to follow in those footsteps. And I mean, this kid had 230 yards passing. Yeah, I get it. One touchdown, one interception. I mean, that line's not great. You know, that's nothing to write home about. But I mean, two, 230 in in your uh, in your first start as an Oregon quarterback. I mean, it's not it's not the best he could have done. But it's I mean, it's far from the worst. You know, he he was almost. Right. I think he was. I think he was seventy percent passing this weekend. Yeah. I mean, these are all nice stat lines. You know, it's just it's that one touchdown, one interception. You know that that people are gonna uh, people are gonna bag on you for, and you know, well deserved. But regardless of, of any of that, he he far far outplayed Jack West for the Stanford team. <laughs> Which I don't think anybody expected anything less. I mean. He outplayed Jack West in the air. But then the ground game for Shaw really surprised me. I didn't think he was that mobile. No, I I didn't either. Um, you know, he had 85 yards on the ground, carry? which is, yeah, 85 yards this game. You know, he had that 25-yard rush. I didn't, I didn't realize it, but this kid's got wheels. No, and, I mean, you combine that, Brandon, I think everyone listening, you uh, – Anybody we've ever had in the podcast, we understood C.J. Verdell is elite. But I was impressed with his performance, too. I mean, he showed that he can carry this Oregon team early as Shaw got comfortable in the offense. And he had 20 carries, 105, a touchdown. I really think this Oregon offense is going to start taking steps forward. But right now, I, I still consider them a work in progress just because of the inexperience of Shaw. And a lot of these receivers were out last year with injuries. And so – I think the chemistry has to be built up. COVID really messed up the offseason for a lot of teams. And I think this is a team that really, really needed a true offseason that wasn't affected by COVID. No, you're absolutely right. Um, but, I mean, both of these teams – and the way – and we'll, we'll get to this, I'm sure, um, when we talk about, about the cancellations and the postponements uh, toward the end of this episode. But the way the Pac-12 has handled this, the COVID situation is, I mean – awful they, they have done the worst job out of any conference by far yeah i think they what they had to cancel three games this weekend they had to cancel three games in a seven game season zach and and and, and they canceled they canceled the cal game uh the cal washington game this weekend because one player on cal had covid he was asymptomatic had covid nobody on washington's team had it and, and there was not even like any contact tracing just one one guy had it and so they canceled the game. Oh, Lord. I mean, and look, and look, and we'll get to the SEC. We'll compare these later. But, I mean, Brent, I think Stanford will be okay. I think Jack West is going to get better. I mean, he was accurate last night. He was pushing the ball down the field pretty well. I mean, 8.1 yards per attempt. I mean, his QBR, Brent, is 88. I don't know how that is. Got a touchdown interception. But it's, it's decent. And then you look at the the running game, Brent. They averaged 6.4 yards per carry, almost 200 yards rushing on this Oregon defense that was really highly touted coming into the season. So I think there were a lot of bright spots for Stanford. There's still a team that's rebuilding. So I think there's there's small positives to take from this, but I think they need to look forward to 2021-2022 as these new kids start kind of coming into this program and getting them back to the heights that we saw them in, you know, the early 2010. Yeah, and maybe Jim Harbaugh, once he gets fired from Michigan, will head back over to Stanford. So there's 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 a, a, there's a bright <laughs> spot in the tunnel. 
Yeah, but guys, Stanford looks to rebound against Colorado, who got a big win this past weekend. While Oregon heads to face Washington State, who really surprised me this weekend with a win over Oregon State. So those two teams are headed to hopefully continue their uh, good luck. But, Brandon, we're going to stick in the Pac-12 here. This is a game that frustrated me. I got a lot of thoughts here. I got a lot of opinions. I'm still kind of – it ruined an entire weekend right now. I'm, I'm watching my one of my good friends get married, and I'm upset at this game while we're taking pictures. We got it playing in the background, and I almost just left the wedding. No, I'm talking I about Arizona. Um, I am talking about the choke job in L.A., Arizona State, at number 20, USC, 28-27, comeback win for the Trojans. Uh, listen, this was an absolute choke job by the Sun Devils. A 14-point lead, Brandon, with three minutes left <laughs> evaporated like that. I mean, <laughs> are you kidding me? So, guys, they score. They allow a touchdown with 2.52 left on fourth down. It was like fourth and like 15, I believe. And they allowed Keaton Slovis to throw a 26-yard touchdown pass. Then allow them to recover an onside kick and drop 55 yards in less than 90 seconds <laughs> to win the game. Look, <laughs> I loved watching this game. I loved watching every single minute of this game as long as that minute was under three minutes in the fourth quarter because Keaton came to play. They don't call him Keaton Clutch for no reason. Um, two passing touchdowns. <laughs> two passing. give him a nickname? Yeah, he's, he's Keaton Clutch. Uh, okay. You say about it? No, I mean, that's all good with me. I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. I understand. He was clutch. I mean, he threw a lot, though, Brandon. I mean, if you, if I would have told you in the preview episode that he was going to throw over 50 times, you would have been a little bit skeptical about how USC was going to do. You know, I, I would have been skeptical, uh, skeptical about how they were going to do. But honestly, what kind of talent does Keaton Slovis have around him right now, Zach? What running back do you trust more than you trust the arm of Keaton Slovis? I mean, literally none. I, I'm like, okay, hang on. I, I actually have a whole segment here about the biggest difference for me is that I think there's a, there's there was the emergence of multiple wide receivers that are really big targets for him. I mean, you look at Drake London, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Bonds, Bruce, Bruce McCoy making an appearance, former five-star that transferred 19 times before he even played it down. But they all look like Bob Lopsis, Brandon. I mean, all had over five catches for 50 yards. And London and Brown were averaging like 15 yards per catch. Yeah, no. This, that's I mean, the difference. I, in, in my opinion, you know, after watching this game, I think London is, is, is probably far and away um, the best receiver uh, or best target for Keaton Slovis. And, and one of the things that I like about Keaton so much is that he spreads this ball out. You know, it, it's not one of these systems where the quarterback – has one receiver, or Kyle Trask has Kyle Pitts, and that's who he's going to throw to so, so that the defense can target him. I mean, he has, what, he has five viable options that, that nobody knows where he's going to throw it at any given time. So how does the defense prepare for that? Yeah, you can't. And, you know, Keenan Slovis is too good, right? I mean, 73% completion percentage, and that's with over 50 attempts. If you're completing over 70% of your passes when you're throwing the ball 50 times, that is dangerous. He had over 380 yards, Brandon, two two tubs, an interception. I mean, the majority of the yards, Brandon, came late 
And early in the game, I saw some major, major concerns. I mean, he was very, very inconsistent early against this Arizona State defense that just seemed to have his number early. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. You know, that first quarter, I was sitting there um, a little bit, you know, I'm not going to say worried, but uh, whatever a step below <laughs> worried is, I, that's what I was because I was watching. I was watching. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh man, Zach had Sam Howell, and we saw how that how that's working out for him right now." Besides this weekend, he they killed Duke. That's a we'll we'll probably never talk about that. But they killed Duke. No, um, I'm gonna say that's just Duke, though. I mean, I, I feel like right now I could step out of this car in the middle of Missouri and kill Duke. Yeah, that's it's probably fair enough. But I was like, "Oh man, I've been talking so much trash. Now I know." He's going to do the same thing. He's going to fall off a cliff, and Sam Howell is somehow going to be better than him this season. Not so. Uh, I, I mean, we we knew what Keaton Slovis was made of, though. I mean, we knew that he had this arm, and we knew that he was capable of this. Zach, but this leads me to question: Is 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 Clay is Clay Hilton actually going to? Uh, is he going to pull out the air raid? Is he just pulling out all the stops so he doesn't get fired this season? I think so. I mean, you got to you got to put the ball in your playmakers' hands. And I don't think there's a team in the Pac-12 that's deeper a wide receiver and has a better quarterback than USC. So, like you said, why would you take the ball out of his hands when that's your best option to move the ball? I mean, this Arizona State defense is doing a great job against the run. I think Herm Edwards and Marvin Lewis is their new defensive coordinator. I mean, Brandon, we're talking major, major NFL talent that understands the defense. They – for Keenan Slovis in this offense to do this against that defense is just spectacular. And I think Slovis showed why he was the best quarterback, best freshman quarterback in the country last year. And I agree. I think he, understand, um, he understands he has to get off the hot seat. So why not put the ball in that kid's hands? Because he's arguably a top five quarterback in the country right this second. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And, and um, I do want to kind of shift our attention here, Zach. Um, to the other side of the ball, you know, to, or not to the other side of the ball, but let's talk. I mean, let's at least talk about Arizona State's offense for a second here, or Jaden Daniels. Literally, let's just talk about him because he is that offense, um, and he's not, he's not a very good offense. Okay, listen, he did all he could. I mean, he rushed for over a hundred yards. I mean, that's that's insane. Yeah. And but he can't complete a pass. Take, okay, but listen, I don't know how hard everyone watch this game. My biggest takeaway for Arizona State is do they have a single wide receiver that can generate and help with separation? There no. <laughs> no the answer I mean, your question absolutely I, not. Like yes, Jaden Daniels, um like I get it. He wasn't very accurate. I believe he was right I think he was like just under fifty percent completion percentage or right 11, around there. He was eleven for twenty three. Yeah, so right there, and he was only averaging 5.5 yards per attempt. Not great. And I was expecting to see a big leap in year two, but the limitations of these wide receivers are really hurting this kid. I I mean, late in the game, Brandon, when they were forced to throw, he had nowhere to go with the ball, and then he started forcing it into different areas. And the wide receivers were either dropping it or the pass wasn't accurate because it was a tight window. And this talking quarterback, he's not a Mac Jones. He's not a Trevor Lawrence or anybody like that. He is just a kid that has dynamic legs and needs wide open 
clear passing lanes, and he didn't get that this weekend. But like you said, on the ground, dangerous, man, over 110 yards rushing. But this Arizona State team can only go as far as the help that Jaden Daniels gets. Brandon, can you argue that Jaden Daniels is easily, by far and away, the best player on this team? It's just what other options do they have on offense? No, you're right. You know, I talked about I talked about the talent around Keaton Slowis at the beginning of this uh, of this part of the segment, um, but I, I guess the conversation really should have been the talent surrounding Jaden Daniels, which I mean, there's just none. Um, I mean, he led the team in in passing yards. He led the team in rushing, and it really wasn't that close. You know, the, the second leading rusher had 84 yards compared to his 111, and, and he had more right. attempts. Uh, so, I mean, Jaden Daniels is an athlete. I mean, we knew that last season, but mm-hmm. yeah, but, but he, he can't get it done alone. You know, he, he's going to have this Arizona state team's going to have to rely on more than just Jaden Daniels and this defense. I mean, they, they need to do something on offense and they need to do it quick. Yeah. And you know, I don't, the bad part, right. So I was really high on Arizona state coming into the year. Clearly. I mean, I picked them to win the game and I was almost correct there taking a huge upset but the the help isn't coming until next year Brian. i mean we've covered their recruiting class and our recruiting updates this all season they have some talented talented wide receivers they have a top 100 receiver on the 247 composite coming to campus but that's not going to help this year and i'm really interested can they find a wide receiver one to develop with with this kid to help to help them out at all and for me, another big takeaway, I saw this comparison, but I don't know how you feel about this. Someone said Jaden Daniels is Kyler Murray without the arm talent. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, he definitely has the athleticism, and, and he can get it done with his legs, but I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'd go as far to, as to say you know, Kyler Murray. <laughs> That's a big comparison. I mean, a Heisman winner. Um, and I think the comparison is just from them both being in Arizona, but guys, Huge win for USC here. Brandon, they face Arizona next week. So, I, I guess they're just knocking out the state early here. Um, that's a huge – it's a huge week two game. Arizona State hosts a Cal team, Brandon, which you've already mentioned, had their season opening game canceled due to COVID. So, we're going to find out how good Cal really is there. But, Brandon, we're going to move on here. We have a game that has implications all the way through the offseason. Number 23, Michigan, traveled to Indiana, number 13 in the country, beat down 38-21 to 21 by the Hoosiers. Brandon, is it time to finally consider Indiana a serious contender in the Big Ten? I think it is. I really do. I mean, especially with Penn State showing up at 0-3 this season. I mean, they're definitely not the team we thought they were. Minnesota, I mean, is showing up, and they're not doing much better. Um, Wisconsin just can't play a football game, apparently. Uh, and then, so who do we have left in the Big Ten, Zach? I mean, in my honest opinion right now, if I had to rank the top three in the Big Ten, I think I'm going Ohio State, then Indiana, then Iowa. Because, like I said, I mean, in Wisconsin would be up there if they could play a game, but they can't play a game. You know, and, and when they can play a game, they're going to have—I mean, they're not even going to have half their team, or they're going to—they're going to be down to like they're going to be down a lot of scholarship athletes, um, and so it's not going to be the same team that we saw week one in the Big Ten. Um, 
Right. So, yeah, I mean, I absolutely think Indiana's a contender in the, in the Big Ten. You know, do I think that they're going to make it to the championship game? Probably not, you know, unless they get through Ohio State somehow. Then, then absolutely not. But I think that's going to be a much better game than, than we probably thought it would be, what, two, three weeks ago? I think that game's going to be incredible. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be I, – and I think they can get – they honestly – that's a, like like you said, it's the two best teams in the Big Ten. I mean, all we've seen is Wisconsin beat up an Illinois team that wasn't supposed to be very good in the first place. Right. And, uh, and yeah, they beat them by a lot, but they were supposed to beat them by a lot. Exactly. I think they were like 20, 20-something point favorites in that game. And now you're looking at – they have a game with Michigan coming up where there's a question mark on whether Graham Mertens can play. And so it's like if they lose that game, how good do we know if they are? How good can we determine they are without their starting quarterback? So it's a big thing. But speaking of quarterbacks, Brandon, how about Michael Penix Jr., man? This kid looks like the absolute real deal. And, Brandon, this is going to sound crazy, and it sounds crazy just coming out of my mouth. This kid looks like the second-best quarterback in the conference. No, you're not wrong. I thought, yeah, look, when you said crazy, I thought you were about to say the best quarterback in the conference. And I thought, Easy. Just, Justin Fields still has more touchdowns than he does in completions. So let's yeah. hold on. Nobody can touch that kid right now. No. Um, but, I mean, this kind of, you know, this game answered our question, I think, on, on who the better quarterback of, of the two were. I mean, we compared them a lot during the preview episode between Milton and Penix, and and I think that was kind of answered. I mean, I understand Milton had a – I mean, he had an insane game as well, but he threw those two picks. Um, Penix kept the ball out of out of the defense's hands, and I think that, that, that speaks miles about this kid's game. I mean, he went 30 for 50, so not like the best uh, – not the best rate there. I mean, he was 60% passing. But he was 60% passing for 342 yards, Zach, and three touchdowns. Yeah, and the biggest thing, Brad, is no turnovers again. Right. Again, against a talented, talented Michigan defense that was really, really looked at as one of the best defenses in the country coming into the season. And then you had all the doubt, all the weight on his shoulders where they were saying that Penn State and Rutgers showed that he wasn't a good quarterback because those teams weren't very good. And uh, they, he just played absolutely amazing. And the, and the defense of Indiana is what I want to get to, Brandon. I thought they should be the MVP of the game. Holding Michigan to 13 yards rushing on 18 attempts, Brandon, 0.7 yards per rush. And Hassan Haskins had six carries for 19 yards and 11 came on one carry. Right, right. I mean, this is a team that ran all over the field in their in their early games this year, and they couldn't find a single bit of room. And then you look at Joe Milton. I mean, yeah, he got a lot of yards, whatever, but he struggled with turnovers. He couldn't finish drives. They held him to under 55% completion percentage, forced two interceptions, and both interceptions came in the fourth quarter, in which if Michigan scores, they get back in the game. And this defense played clutch football and kept Michigan out of the end zone. I mean, they got to him under pressure. He looked uncomfortable. The game got tight late. And third downs, Brandon, they held him to three for 11 on third down conversions. I don't think 
we can say enough about how far Indiana has progressed on both sides of the ball. But I think this win, outside of maybe Pennix, I think this win has to fall on the shoulders of this defense that looked absolutely elite this weekend. And it's not even to me, you know, those are all like those are all keys to this win. But the biggest key to me, Zach, is the time of possession battle. Indiana had yep. 39 minutes, Zach. 39. They only let Michigan have the ball for 21 minutes of this game, and that made all the difference in the world. I mean, look at the final score. I mean, each team scored a point for every minute that they had the ball, and Indiana had the ball more, and they scored more, and they were able to hold this Michigan team to 13 yards rushing because they only rushed the ball what? Uh, I, I just had it up. They only rushed the ball 18 times. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, you, you hold them um, to fewer than 60 offensive plays total. What do they have? They, it wasn't even that. I mean, they had 50, uh, 54 offensive plays total. Yeah. Look, you're not going to win a football game doing that. You're not going to win a football game doing that when this uh, Indiana offense is clicking, when Michael Penix Jr. is clicking. You're just – you cannot – you have to win that time of possession battle, or you at least have to have it close. You can't; it cannot slip down to two to one possession for Indiana if you're Michigan. I mean that that is insane. I don't know how you let that happen. No, especially on the road against a really good Indiana team. That's a horrible look. And Brandon, also a weird thing. I mean, we we saw this Michigan team make a statement when. In, their, in the Big Ten's first week against Minnesota, or we thought a statement win. Then they let one slip away against Michigan State. But we said, hey, they, that defense still played decent. They did allow Lombardi to throw for a lot, but that defense is good. But this defense has regressed every single week of the season, Brandon. Oh, yeah. And it's a significant amount. I mean, they allowed five, almost 500 yards of total offense, 28 first downs, allowed 50% third down conversion rate, like you said, 40 minutes time of possession for the Hoosiers. And this was an, all Indian, an Indiana offense that was shut down by Penn State. Right. I mean, and Brandon, we talked in the preview episode with the Big Ten, kind of, well, we previewed Michigan's first game. We talked about how dominant that front seven was supposed to be. I mean, it was one of the best in the nation. Not a single sack this weekend, Brandon, and only only three tackles for loss for the entire game. I mean, that's crazy. That's unacceptable. That is absolutely unacceptable for a defense. And, Brandon, that brings me to you knew we were going to have this conversation. Anybody that's ever listened to the Blue Bloods knew we were going to have this conversation. Jim, will you finally agree that Jim Harbaugh deserves to be on the hot seat? I, I, yes. I think he's on one of the hottest seats in the NCAA right now. A one-and-two start for this Michigan team that has won next to nothing in the time that he's been there. They've won one game uh, between Ohio State and Michigan State since he's been there. I mean, you can't get it done in the rivalries. You can't get it done in the big games. And apparently you can't even get it done against Indiana, you know. So something's got to give. And I – look, I, I, I'm switching my tides. I think Jim Harbaugh is fired by the end of the season. Really? So you probably agree he's going to be let go. I really, I, I think he will be. Uh, well, I don't. He'll he'll be fired or he'll walk away. He'll do something. 
Um, and he'll be coaching somewhere else next year. It's not like he's going to be fired or, or let go or whatever and just be, you know, he won't, he will be coaching football next year. I don't know if it's going to be in college and the NFL. He'll be somewhere though. Hey, I mean, maybe, maybe the Ravens get a new, uh, uh, a new coordinator. You never know. His brother could help him out there. But my biggest thing, Brandon, is that, like you said, you can't, you can't be any of your rivals. You can't win the big games. And technically, this is a big game because Indiana was 13th in the country. It was a ranked matchup. But not only that, you look worse and worse every time you get on the field. Right. And that's, that falls on the coaching. I mean, you keep, you keep letting everybody down. Everyone's saying, oh, all Harbaugh needs is this. All, all he needs is this. Oh, he needs a quarterback. He needs a certain type of quarterback. He needs a running good game. He needs a defense to be better. Like, when are we going to look at Jim Harbaugh and say, oh, he's just not a good coach at Michigan right now? He's not a – and all this talk that Jim Harbaugh is an elite coach needs to stop because he is not an elite coach in college football right this second. He is mediocre at best, and he is the most overpaid, overpriced, overrated coach in college football right now, Brandon. I agree. He, he is he is overpaid. He is overrated. Um, I'm still going to say that it's tough to fire a guy like Jim Harbaugh, but I think he probably will be let go this season. And especially if they lose to Wisconsin this weekend, if they can get that game in. Yeah. One and three at Michigan? Do you think, and you still got Ohio State? Do you think that uh, he saves his job if he beats Ohio State this year? Ah, uh, that's tough. Ohio State's really, really good. I know, I know, but, but 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 in a fantasy world where he beats Ohio State, do you think he saves his job? <laughs> uh, I I still don't think so, man. I've been I've been adamant for what two years on this podcast that Jim Har- Harbaugh should be let go or be at least on the hot seat. I think this this year and that he can't get it done. I think he's going to lose to Wisconsin. I think he'll he probably is going to lose to a team he shouldn't. And I mean, this team could maybe go 500 this year, Brandon. That's not going to cut it in Ann Arbor. No, I agree. But guys, like I said, Michigan hosts number 13 Wisconsin next week in a huge Big Ten defining matchup. There, Indiana travels to Michigan State to continue their run through an absolute crazy 2020 season in which. Indiana Brandon is pushing and trying to break into the top ten. What a what a year for that! But we got two games left here, guys. Let's go down to Jacksonville, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I don't think they call it that anymore, but that's what it'll always be in my heart and your heart. But the Florida Gators make a statement, Brandon. Forty-four twenty-eight win over the Georgia Bulldogs. Did you? How did you not see this coming, Brandon? I, don't know. I mean, I told you. I told you it was going to happen, and Kyle Trask absolutely dominated this game. I have such a dumb brain, Zach. I, I, I might have the dumbest brain uh, that's ever been. Stetson Bennett completed <laughs> five passes this weekend, Zach. Five. I know, man. I know. How do you I mean, do that? That offense is a real problem. That offense is a major problem. How do you complete nine out of 29 passes if you're Georgia's offense? And where is JT Daniel? I was hoping he'd bring that up. Like, I literally just wrote my notes. Will the real JT please stand up? Because I don't know. Did you hear what Kirby Smart said after the game? No. 
They asked him about JT Daniels and why he isn't playing with a straight face, Brandon, with a dead straight face. Kirby Smart said that Dewan Mathis and Stetson Bennett are the better options in quarterback right now for the Bulldogs. Well, then JT Daniels has fallen off a cliff. He, he might be playing with two broken arms and two broken legs if he's worse than Stetson Bennett <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the other guy who – Mathis. I forgot his first name. Uh, Dewan Mathis. DeJuan. Yeah. If he's worse than those two, then man, man, man. And – if you're Jamie Newman watching this game happen, you I mean, you were glad that you opted out because this is a bad team. Or not a bad team. They have a uh, really, really good defense, Zach. A really, really, really good defense. They just don't have any weapons on offense. They don't. Zamir White's good. But other than that, I mean, who are you looking at? And listen, without a quarterback, George Pickens becomes irrelevant. You ain't got nowhere that can get him the ball. George Pickens didn't have a reception this weekend. That's because they don't have a quarterback that can throw the ball more than two yards down the field. Brandon, Mathis averaged 2.6 yards per completion. Yeah. And you it, hold Are on. you kidding and, me? And I don't know. I don't even want to give Georgia's defense the benefit of the doubt right now because they gave up 44 points in for more than half the game. Uh, um, what Kyle Pitts didn't even play because they, they took his head off. Yeah, that targeting, I don't know if I've ever seen a more blatant targeting than that. And I, I get it. You know, he's across the middle of the field, and that kind of play happens all the time. But my, I mean, good Lord, that was the most blatant targeting. I, and neither one of them knew where they were after that. No, I, I just want to say this. I'm so glad they're both okay because I thought Lewis Steen straight up was unconscious after that hit. The safety that got ejected. Targeting. I, I mean, yeah, I think he was unconscious. I mean, he went and looked there for a minute, but he came back too very quickly. You know, I thought he was. Go- I thought he was going to be seriously hurt. Yeah. No. Um. I don't know, man. It, that was a that was a tough, tough hit to take. Um. But Brandon, you got to be fair to the Bulldogs, though. You got to be fair to the Bulldogs. So after Lewis Steen is was ejected, they were already missing three other DBs that have significant playing time this year due to undisclosed reasons. So they were down four DBs by that time Lewis Steen gets ejected. So they were playing with a lot, a lot of inexperience back there. And when you give Kyle Trask an inexperienced secondary, it's a wrap. Because yeah. he's going he's gonna to eat that day. And I think we finally saw what happens when this Florida offense is clicking. And it is absolutely scary for anybody else on their schedule. Yeah, and I'll still say next man up. You know, it's it's one of those seasons. Um, but let me let me say this: I think that we're still at war with CBS, and I think that we're way at war with CBS at this point because they replayed that that Marcus Rosemi Jack Saint uh, injury like seventeen times after it happened. How yeah, that was. Uh, he snapped his leg in half. At least TNT when Gordon Hayward did the same thing, or. When Dak Prescott did the same thing earlier this year, they were like, "Listen, we're going to save you. We're going to save. We're going to save your mind because we don't want you to have nightmares about this." Or even, CBS, they, <laughs> or even, even in the even motion. when Kyle even when Kyle Allen got hurt yesterday or on Sunday for those of you listening on Tuesday, I guess uh, when he got hurt on Sunday, they showed it one time and moved on. I don't think yeah. that CBS knew that that his leg was in half because they kept showing it. 
No, they definitely did because they were like zooming in, circling it, highlighting it. They were like, look at the leg. It's like, I get it. don't want to see it, bro. They wanted to know if he scored. And so they went to the pylon cam, which just showed his leg going the wrong way. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You can't, you can't keep showing that. You, I mean, you leave that up to the officials at that point. And God forbid, if they would have taken that, that touchdown away from him, because they almost did, and I honestly think he might have been down at like the half-yard line, but thank God they gave him that touchdown because I would have rioted. It would have been a one-man riot. But <laughs> you cannot take that, that touchdown away from him after that. No, at least he got the touchdown. But, Brandon, I mean, Kyle Trask, I think this was the best game I've seen him play in a Florida Gators uniform in his career. Yeah. This uh, he, kid was balling. I mean, 440 uh, – sorry, 474. Uh, <clears throat> he went 30 for 43. 11 yards is what he averaged for each throw and four touchdowns. He had a 97.4 QBR. So, I, I mean, that's very good. I mean – and Brent, after mid-second quarter, that's about the top. That's right after we threw the pick six early in the game. Um, after mid-second quarter, Trash played almost perfectly. I mean, I, I can't even think of one singular instance where I was like, "Man, what is Kyle Trash doing?" And that and that pass to um, Trayvon Grimes in the end zone was a thing of beauty. I know we're an audio only podcast. Go look that up because I mean. He put that where only Trayvon Gross can get it, and the kid made an absolute ridiculous catch, and that could have been easily the throwing catch of the year, in my opinion. No, it was great. And, and you know, I know that we talked about um, – uh, we, we talked about Zach Wilson as, an, as a Heisman candidate already in this show. Is Kyle Trask – I mean, do we think that he's at that level yet? Yes, this was his Heisman moment, Brandon. If he wins it in December, we'll point back to this game as the turning point for Kyle Trask. And the thing about Hoffman moments, Brandon, if you can have one to three, or really two to three in a year, you have a really good shot. And, Brandon, they don't play a, a team that's been ranked all year for the rest of their schedule. They so they, are, they have a – okay, well, they play LSU. I forgot that game. They're going to beat LSU. Let's just be honest here. Um if Florida wins out and gets a rating, Kyle Trask could have his second Hassan moment. And I don't think there's any bigger Hassan moment than beating Alabama in the SEC championship if he plays like this. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And look, Kyle Pitts is back, hopefully, next week for the Gators. Uh, or do they wait? Do they have a bye week next week? Maybe not next week, but the week after that for sure. No, they play next week. They play Arkansas. No, yeah, Arkansas, yeah. And, right. and I, I read right before the show that he's still in concussion protocol, so he's questionable as, as of right now. Man, um, that's tough. It, it, that's a big loss, and this Arkansas team is real sneaky, Brandon. This Arkansas team could beat the Florida team if, if everything goes right. Yeah. Zach, there was a moment during this game um, <laughs> on Saturday where I don't know what it was. I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention or whatever, but I was like, man, that's a big wide receiver. It's just Kyle Pitts. It was just Kyle Pitts. Yep. Yeah. Grown man. Yeah, oh yeah Grown man. So I mean, yeah. and Brandon, it, you know, we have to find one thing to be concerned about with this Florida team, and that's their run game, man. Where is a go-to running back? They got so much talent on their roster, but they can't find anybody to run the ball. They averaged 2.6 yards per rush on 37 carries, 
And the longest rush was 10 yards, which one of them was by their backup quarterback. Right. Um, I don't know. I, you you got to find mean, something. Damian Pierce, he's a nice every down back, Brandon, but he lacked any explosion. And I don't know what happened. I talked him up all preseason because this kid was supposed to be legit. Five-star Miami transfer, Lorenzo Lingard, has been non-existent. I don't even know if he's played. He didn't play He didn't play yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't play this weekend, but I don't know if he's played all season. And they're going to have to get creative to run the ball, Brandon. We're talking jet sweeps. We're talking, you know, those little backwards dump screen passes. We're talking reverses, whatever it takes to get the ball moving. But, you know, I'm really interested to see DeMarcus Bowman, Clemson transfers coming in next year, Brandon. That's going to help them. But to end this, to end this game, Brandon, who starts for Georgia moving forward? If, if Kirby Smart doesn't have any faith in JT Daniels, who do you trust? to get the job done? I honestly don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess the safe answer is Stetson Bennett. I get it. I get it. He can't get anything going, but uh, neither can anyone else. And at least he's a game manager. You know, you, you have to hope the talent around him will pick up the slack, which, you know, didn't happen this weekend. But no. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you have another option besides just keeping Stetson Bennett in this year or call, like calling Jamie Newman, like begging, I guess. I don't know, man. Uh, JT Daniels is to play. I need an answer to what's happening. Is he not 100% healthy? Has he not learned the playbook? Is did, did he sleep with someone's girlfriend? Like, what did he do not to give a fair shot at this job? Because I'm telling you, Brandon, uh, you are better than Dewan Mathis. Thank you. The, the kid cannot throw the football. I mean, I would take James Blackman over Dewan Mathis at this point. Yeah. And we all know how I feel about Dewan Mathis. I, I mean, about uh, James Blackman. I mean, that, good Lord. But, guys, Florida heads into an interesting matchup with a sneaky Arkansas team. A rebound against the Missouri team that this game has become real interesting because Missouri can move the ball. Ask LSU. This game is going to be real, real interesting, Brandon. But we're going to move on to the game of the weekend. In game my of the opinion, the game, of the game of the year, in my opinion. Down to South Bend, Brandon. Number one, Clemson traveled to South Bend to take on the number four, Notre Dame. Fighting Irish, a 47-40 to 40 upset win for Notre Dame, Brandon, and double OT. What is your takeaway from this just absolute instant classic? So, obviously, you know, going into this, this just looks like the perfect image of a game that Notre Dame will lose, right? I mean, the last time right. they beat the number one team was in 1993 against Florida State. And so you think, okay, well, this is, you know, Notre Dame's always pretty overrated. You know, they're always, like, ranked higher than they should be. Uh, they kind of get the benefit of the doubt because they're an independent team. You know, and while they do, while they are able to schedule um, pretty decent schedules every single year, it, you know, people are still going to use that independent argument all the time. And, and so this season they joined a conference and they joined this conference, uh, the ACC with Clemson and, you know, with a few other contenders um, and going into it. I mean, you and I, we both had uh, Notre Dame pretty high in our rankings. I think I had them number two in the conference and you had them at three, I think, I think you had, uh, you and yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, no one expected, or, I mean, I guess some people might have expected, but if you would have asked somebody at the beginning of the season, 
if they thought Notre Dame or Clemson was going to pull out this victory here, I don't think anybody would have thought this would be a two-overtime game, and I definitely don't think anybody would have thought that Notre Dame would be the ones to score 47 and pull off this win. You know, and and I already hear your arguments coming. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence was out. Half of their defense was out. But that doesn't change the fact that this Notre Dame defense held Travis Etienne to 28 yards on the ground, 50 yards in, through the air. This defense is the truth, Zach. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I had a whole bone to pick with Travis Etienne. This was the worst game in his career since he's been at Clemson. Yeah. 18 carries, 28 yards rushing, one touchdown. Travis Etienne, the most explosive running back, arguably in college football history, Brandon, by the stat, he got me 1.6 yards per carry. And the biggest game of the season for your team, you started quarterbacks out, you have players out all over the board, and you're gonna, you got to step up. You're the leader of this team, the senior leader, and you give me 1.6 yards per carry. Right, right. That, that is embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. But the credit for me, Brandon, goes to the Notre Dame front seven. They did an excellent job all night getting penetration into the backfield, filling gaps where they needed to be filled. They had two sacks, Brandon, and this sack kills me. Ten tackles for loss, Brandon. I guess a Clemson team that hardly ever has negative plays. Right. I mean, they had a defensive touchdown. I, it absolutely blew my mind. And I'm not putting any of this loss on DJ. He played an absolutely great game, man. When you throw for 430 yards and three total touchdowns, that loss can't fall on you. He completed over 65% of his passes. And there is no reason this loss should fall on anybody other than the Clemson defense and Travis at the end. Right. And, you know, what I will say is that um, I'm look. I'm just going to start saying his name in, fun, in different fun ways because I don't know that I heard uh, his name pronounced the same way twice in the same like, at all. I was about to say the same thing. I mean, last week on uh, wherever they play ESPN or whatever uh, ABC, whoever they play Boston College on, whatever network, they said it a completely different way than the people on NBC were saying it last night. And the two people calling the game last night were pronouncing it totally different than each other. And so I have idea on how to yeah so we have dj knows what i'm talking about we have dj that that's that's how i pronounce it from now on um we've got him just showing up zach i mean 439 yards passing Uh, talk about stepping up and filling some shoes i mean obviously he's not trevor lawrence but but 430 yards passing, that's incredible. Yeah, and no turnovers again, Brandon. Yeah. He has not thrown an interception since he took over the starting job. You're right. And, and you know what's funny is that he he only has four passing touchdowns through two games, but but he's still tied for 25th place in the NCAA. Like, how how does that – how does that rank at 25th? Uh, I honestly have no idea. That, that sounds a little outrageous, if you ask me. That's what um, I'm saying. So, Ian Book, I mean, well, I guess Ian Book only has eight touchdowns on the season. He's played all year. 
Well, he doesn't pass he the ball. Good. I mean, he passes the ball, but uh, and he especially passed the ball this week, and he had over 300 yards passing, really, really breaking the mold on on Ian Book. I mean, he can use his legs, but he got it done through the air this weekend. He finally showed what I've been trying to say about him for two years now. I mean, he finally showed what can happen when he's on. I mean, like you said, 310 yards passing, a, a passing touch. I mean, a passing touchdown. 68 yards rushing. I mean, he was confident, calm under pressure, and Brandon, he made plays when this team needed them most. But getting back to DJ, here's why I think the, the Trevor Lawrence absence really hurt Clemson. It wasn't the, that he, this kid played bad. It was, it was a, you can see it in the final drive of the game, that second overtime. If T. Law was the quarterback there, Brandon, he would have seen those blitzes coming and adjusted appropriately and got out of the pocket or flipped to a different play. I don't think this kid had the ability to audible out in that situation, and he was stuck with the bad play. He only got one timeout, and he didn't react well enough, and that's what cost him the game. I mean, are you telling me that Trevor Lawrence wasn't going to pick up that disguised blitz on two back-to-back plays and take two sacks to lose the game? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm telling you, that's where the big thing is. He, the experience ignored the freedom or, like, allowance from Dabo in this offense to make adjustments. I mean, the future looks bright. Like you said, this kid's the real deal. But, Brandon, the MVP of the game has to be on the other side of the ball. It has to be Kyron Williams and this fighting Irish offensive line, right? I mean, these, this, that unit and Kyron Williams was absolutely spectacular. Yeah, uh, you're you're 100% right. Kyron Williams put on a show this weekend. 140 yards rushing is insane. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. And, and this is the best showing we've seen out of him so far this season, which I don't know. I was very impressed by him. It seemed like every time he touched the ball, he made something happen. Um, but I also well, want to talk I mean- about – and it's not only these Notre Dame uh, offensive linemen. It's not only the run, this running back – I mean, I think I think that Michael Mayer had a great showing. You know, they're freshman tight end. And it, to me, it seems like yeah. he always has, like, just insane tight ends. And, and for this kid to be a freshman and to do what he did against Clemson this weekend, um, uh, it was very impressive. I mean, he had 67 yards on, on five receptions. Yeah, I mean, and I think that relates to the absence of Mike Jones Jr., who – who replaced Isaiah Simmons this year, he was out with injury. And that that star kind of like hybrid position always usually covers the tight end. He, they took advantage of it. It was a great game plan by Notre Dame. They said, oh, Tyler Davis, the defensive tackle, Mike Jones Jr., some secondary players are out. We're going to run it right where you're missing some players. Right. And it worked. it worked to perfection. I mean, Williams had 23 carries, 143 touchdowns, averaged 6.1 yards per carry against the Clemson team, Brandon, that was stifling other teams. Right. I mean, you could not run on this defense, and you haven't been able to in the past three, four years. It was absolutely amazing showing. I think Williams is showing why he's one of the best running backs in the country. But this O-line, Brandon, they paved the way for over 200 yards rushing, three rushing touchdowns. They allowed only two sacks from an elite Clemson front seven, only four quarterback pressures all game, which is why I think Ian Book played his best game through the air this season. 
And it was an absolute offensive line clinic down the stretch. And that was the difference in the game for me, Brandon. I think Notre Dame was healthy. Notre Dame executed better. Notre Dame was better prepared. And last night, Dabo Sweeney was outcoached by Brian Kelly. And it showed down the stretch. And the Fighting Irish deserved every bit of credit for this win. I, I definitely agree with you, Zach. So, Brandon, if it's fully healthy, they meet in Charlotte again. What is your early prediction on that? Do you think Notre Dame can beat Clemson twice in the same year? It is so tough uh, to beat a team twice in the same year, and it's going to be even tougher if this Clemson team's healthy. Um, you know, and I've been saying it all episode, next man up mentality, that no excuses for Clemson this weekend. Um, they showed up, and, and they lost the game. But – this next game, the next time we'll likely see them is going to be in Charlotte, um, and I, it, I think it's going to be a different story. I don't, I don't think this Notre Dame team can beat Clemson two times in a row. Um, I, I really don't. Well, and also, so I, I released my top ten today, which it'll be yesterday when this comes out, but everyone knows I had Notre Dame, number two in the country, jumping Ohio State along with Clemson. Brandon – does Notre Dame deserve the number one spot in the country? And do they deserve to jump Ohio State and or Bama? I know a lot of people thought they did. What is I, your opinion on that? I think they deserve to jump Ohio State. I really do. Um, just just watching Ohio State this year, um, I've been impressed with them, obviously. Justin Fields is incredible. They, they've got a really good football team. I think this Notre Dame team, I think they go head-to-head. I think Notre Dame wins this game. Um, so, yeah, I think they deserve to, to jump Ohio State. I think you've got them placed perfectly because I still think Alabama's a better team than Notre Dame. Um, right. But, I mean, this – honestly, in my opinion, this might be the best Notre Dame team that we've seen um, in the past, what, 10 years? And, and in that I time – I would say maybe 20. Maybe. And in, that, in the past 10 years, at least, they've been to the national championship once and they've been in the playoff once as well, uh, two separate occasions there. And and honestly, this is probably the best time we've seen them. Which Zach, I I want to ask you something. So, if Notre Dame does finish out the season undefeated, then they go to the ACC championship and lose a close game to Clemson. Can you can you count them out of the playoff? No, they deserve a playoff spot. Absolutely deserve a playoff spot. Um, but do I think they'll get it? No. I right. I think what I, I think what's going to happen is, yeah, I think the key to everything is Brandon. If Texas A and M wins out, and they have one loss to Alabama early in the season, they're going to be the dark horse to get into the playoffs because they're not going to have to go play an SEC championship game. Right. They're going to have a win over Florida in that in that goes to the SEC championship game. They'll have a win over an Auburn team that is currently ranked. They'll have a win over the defending national champs, LSU, probably, who have been ranked this year. They'll have, they'll have the quality wins to back up their resume. They're already right there outside the top five. I think Texas A&M is the reason Notre Dame isn't going to get in. As sad as it may seem, even though SEC bias can happen in these stretches, and I think in a one-loss SEC team, will get in over a one loss under anything. Right, right. Yeah, I don't I don't think and, they should, and, but I think I think you're right. No. No, because I think Notre Dame would beat Texas A and M on a neutral site. Absolutely. 
Um, yeah. I think I think Notre Dame's the better team. And then you also, Brandy, got to take into the take into account what happens if BYU and Cincinnati finish the season undefeated and they don't even have a close loss on their resume. Yeah, been a close win. Like they're blowing everybody out. I mean, you have two undefeated teams in them. You'll have the S- one loss SEC team. And then, God forbid, Brandon, what happens if Florida beats Alabama? Right. Yeah, chaos. That's what's going to happen. Absolute chaos is going to ensue if that happens. And then there's people saying that if Oklahoma wins out, they deserve a shot in the playoffs. No. And regardless <laughs> if you agree or not. I know. I, like, I'm not saying I agree. I'm just saying there are those people out there. So the playoff picture is, is real messy right now, Brandon, but – I think with the COVID season, if there's ever a time for chaos, it's this year. And there's still a lot of games to be played. I mean, A&M still has to play Auburn. They still have to go face a, an LSU team that I think LSU has enough talent to pull an upset any time in any game. They just haven't gotten the click this year. Florida still has to play Alabama. Alabama still has some tough games. Florida still has to get through some tough games. They have injury and COVID concerns. I mean, Anything can happen because, I mean, we saw what happened with Clemson, Brandon. It takes one second for a star player to get diagnosed with COVID and your whole season change. Right. And so this is going to be interesting down the stretch. But, Brandon, Notre Dame continues their run in the 2020 season against Boston College in a tough road matchup. Brandon, that could be a, that could be a trap game. I'm pretty sure we're covering that on pick six next episode. While Clemson and Brandon get the break, luckily they get a bye week, Brandon, to get healthy. And then they face a Florida State team looking to pull off their second upset of the year over a top-five team. As we know, they beat UNC when they were a top-five team. So that's what's on the schedule for Clemson. But, guys, that's a wrap on Pink Six Recap. We're going to briefly cover some breaking news that happened today. Me and Brandon have been texting back and forth about this all day. We're just calling it covid COVID took the SEC's claims that it doesn't exist real personal. And it has struck in a big way, um, you know, this past week. But, guys, just today in the SEC, we had Arkansas coach Sam Pittman test positive for COVID. Right now, Brandon, no players for Arkansas tested positive. Then we had LSU test positive. Uh, Just almost the entire team test positive for COVID. And – they're probably going to have to cancel the game against Alabama this weekend. We'll get reaction on that. And it all stemmed from a Halloween party because, you know, people in Baton Rouge can't, can't stay away from their parties. Then we had Texas A&M postpone and halt all football activities due to a COVID outbreak. And Mississippi State had a COVID outbreak and officially had to cancel their game against Auburn. Brandon, let's start with Arkansas coach Sam Pittman. How much of a factor does this play, especially when you have Florida coming into town this weekend? Oh, man, it's it's not good. I mean, if this game already didn't bode well for Arkansas, you know, this team that that has has surprised me at least, I think they surprised a lot of people. Um, You know, I don't think they really had a real chance against Florida, but they probably would have shown us – they probably would have given them at least a fight, maybe more of a fight than Georgia gave them. Who knows? But – right. but now we don't know. I mean, and, and it's still Monday, you know. I, I feel like there's still more to come out. I know that you said no players tested positive. I feel like there's going to be, like, contact tracing. Uh, anyone who had contact with Sam Pittman might be ruled out for this game. Um, 
stuff like that. So this this just doesn't help Arkansas out in any, any way, shape, or form. Um, like I said, if anything, if they already weren't prepared for Florida, they're definitely not prepared for them now. Right. And I kind of echo that. I mean, the co- uh, losing a coach is probably less impactful than the next few stories we're going to hit. But I still think when you have arguably a huge chance to pull up an upset over a team that had an emotional win over an arch rival that they haven't won in a while and they had some injuries from that game. You can always take advantage of that, but I think it's going to be tough to pull the upset without their head coach. But Brandon, something a little bit personal to you here. LSU decided to throw a Halloween party and everybody tested positive for COVID apparently. Apparently they don't they don't even have a quarterback on the roster just about and they're they're trying to Last I reported, last I read, Brandon, it's reported that they're trying to have this game because LSU Florida is already rescheduled in that open slot December 12th. So, therefore, if this game can't be played this weekend, it will have to be canceled for the season. I don't think anybody wants that. I know the SEC for sure doesn't want that. What is going on in Baton Rouge here, and what do you think happens? Yeah, well, I'll answer that second question at the end of this, but – um, I don't know what's going on. Apparently LSU's down to only a few scholarship athletes left who, who don't have COVID or who haven't had any kind of contract uh, contact tracing that would lead them to be out. Um, like you said, quarterbacks done for. Um, apparently Zach Von Rosenberg was taking snaps, the scout team quarterback last week. I think that's a fun situation where we have the punter playing quarterback, uh, the 30-year-old punter playing quarterback at that. Uh, that could be fun. They have no long snapper, so you know if if you need somebody, just call me up. Uh, you know where I live. Um, <laughs> tight ends, just none available. Uh, defensive backs, they're very thin at, is what the report said. I'm not sure exactly who's out, um, but yeah, I mean they got hit hard, and like you said, it was that Halloween party. Uh, I guess they got beat by Auburn. Then we're like, you know, what, let's just party. Uh, that's not necessarily what I would have done, but it's it's what they decided to do. But to answer your question about what do I think will happen, Zach, um, and I didn't even tell you this, but but I've I've got a source that's that's I want to say close to LSU uh, to the LSU program, but you know maybe they're in the LSU program. Who knows? Um, who says that it's it's very likely that this game will be canceled this weekend? And yeah, the, more likely the, more the, likely the, than people know even. Well, I, the that's what I heard too. I mean, I've read it. I was like scrolling through some insider blogs uh, while I was, you know, riding in this passenger seat through Missouri, and I saw there was a report that it's like 90% certain that this game's not being played. Right. No, and and that's, a, that's a strong indication, and you know Nick Saban is praying he gets a shot at LSU with a punter and quarterback. It is going to be a epic biblical beatdown in Baton Rouge if this, if this, if this is allowed to happen. Right. No, it's, it's not going to happen. It's, it's absolutely not. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it, on one hand, I'm, I'm sad because, I, you know, it's my first year having season tickets and it's starting to look like I'm going to go to fewer games than I did last season when I didn't have season tickets. Um, uh-huh. But on the other hand, no LSU beat or no, no LSU beat down by Alabama. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, man. I mean, it was going to be ugly, and I, I want to. I'm going to tie their situation with the Mississippi State 
thing at the end that I'm going to ask you a major, major question that I think a lot of people aren't expecting. But A&L postponed practice because of COVID, and a lot of players test positive after their trip to South Carolina. Like, you know, the thing I don't get, Brandon, I don't know. They, they, they didn't say what happened, but South Carolina has had no positive test. So what is happening after these games where people are traveling and these players are getting COVID? They fly private. They shouldn't be going anywhere. I mean, when does any personal responsibility fall on the players for you, Brandon? I mean, I, th- I think I, I think it's exactly what you just said. I mean, they do fly private. Um, you know, they're separated from the student bodies. But but what they do outside of practice and outside of class, I mean, that's the player's decision. So I think it almost immediately falls on these players. Um, I think it falls on the coaching staff and and, and uh, faculty a little bit too, who should probably have a shorter leash on the players. You know, if you're going to play football on this team this season, especially with everything happening, you, you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, and they've got to have more of like a watchful eye, I think. But ultimately it's the player's uh, responsibility to keep themselves, to keep their, uh, keep their colleagues safe. I mean, be smart, man. I, I understand. I don't, I don't like these. I don't like all the regulations as much as the next guy doesn't. But come on. If, if you want college football to continue this season, you, you have to be smarter. Yeah, and so, I mean, we'll just group it all together. Everyone heard what I said about Mississippi State. They had a COVID outbreak. Auburn, Mississippi State postponed to be tentatively. But, Brandon, the, you know, Shannon Sharp, I don't understand it about just – this is about NFL players where they, like, they take the bad apples. And then when they, they, when they negotiate the CBA, they take those bad players and keep players who follow all the rules who deserve – money who deserve more guaranteed money the bad apples like someone like you know you can argue Antonio Brown ruins it for everybody else right right that's that's the gist of the argument you fought so hard to get this season you fought so hard to play and now you know you're saying that like oh we're not you know the NCAA saying they're amateurs they're kids we can't give 18 year olds millions of dollars to play college football Aren't you just proving their point that you can't miss one singular night of going out partying for Halloween for the betterment of your team and so you don't infect your entire athletic department? You can't forfeit one night of partying for that. But then you expect to have the same argument on the other hand when you go up to the table against all these NCAA people and then you're going to look them in the eye and tell them that you're a man and that you deserve billions of dollars to play football but you can't even control yourself enough to skip one Halloween and not infect the entire team with COVID. Yeah. I mean, you can't say, Hey, I give up so much to play football. I give up so much to be a scholarship athlete and then not give it up. I mean, come on, you, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I don't, I don't want to use that, but I'm going to, I mean, you can't say I give all this up and then you don't, I mean, that's just that, that that's a weak excuse. And so that brings us to this point, Brandon. I don't know if you saw this. I tweeted about it um, on my Twitter. But there was um, Bud Elliott from 247. He's one of the national recruiting analysts for 247, SB Nation, um, all that. Big, big name. He's saying that he hears and he suspects that there's some struggling programs, a.k.a. LSU, a.k.a. Mississippi State, uh, Penn State, some other programs, 
that are having these COVID outbreaks is players realize that their season goals are over and they're tired of being in lockdown and not be able to have the college experience, aka going to the bars, partying on Halloween night. So they're just breaking protocol and going out and doing this, and they don't really care about their season anymore. And for me, Brandon, this if this is true, I'm not saying it is or is not, but I would suspect that it's a little bit true. I think those players, if that, if it's found that they said, man, we're, what is LSU's record? Two and four or something two like that? Um, yeah, two and three. Um, they're like, hey, we're two and three, bro. We're not getting to the playoffs. We're not getting to the championship. Screw it. Let's have a Halloween party. If that's the case, those players need to have suspensions and be kicked and or be kicked off the team immediately because that is a culture problem if they are already giving up and are willing to risk people's lives because they're not happy without the team's performance. Well, I agree. You know, I, and, and obviously I think that should be handled in-house. I don't think that should be an NCAA thing. I don't think that, you know, the NCAA should come down and, and say, hey, you, you have to suspend these players or you have to cut these players. No, I, and and I think I think that the coaching staff at LSU is going to handle that. I think the coaching staffs at any of these respective schools is going to handle that the way they see fit. You know, whether that be suspensions for one or two games, whether that be cutting a scholarship, I, I think that it will be handled. I mean, hell, Mike Leach is already looking to find a way to put players on the island and let them start to death. I mean, he's done throwing his players under the bus so many times. I mean, he should be. I mean, attempted murder could be at hand here. I mean, this dude is ready to throw Mississippi State under the bus. And the thing about it is, man, I mean, so it's just undermining everything. And it's so frustrating to see as someone who covers college football like we do and and spends so much time researching this stuff. It's like, you did all this, man. I mean, we talked on this podcast for, what, three, four, five weeks in a row? about how much progress this We Are United movement has made. And then you're just going to undercut yourself because you want to be ignorant about it. It's just like, why are you shooting yourself in the foot? Just finish out the – what does SEC have left? Three games? Right. Just finish out those three games, and then you can go do whatever you want. But you're putting your education in jeopardy. You're putting your team in jeopardy. You're putting your coaches in jeopardy. The other students in jeopardy, training staff, I mean, upper management, everything. You're putting your family in jeopardy. I mean, Nick Saban said that he couldn't have the heart to tell his team to go home, but he said that it was made clear that if you got COVID, they were going to be punishments. Right. And the thing and the thing I hear, and the, this is what frustrates me, and I've been kind of sitting on this for a while. I mean, when Wisconsin had their breakout, why are we giving these teams that are having COVID breakouts and have to cancel these games especially in conferences like the Pac-12 and Big Ten where they can't be rescheduled, why aren't the teams that did the correct thing not rewarded? Why isn't it a force, a forfeit game, force loss for the team that screwed up and didn't follow the protocols and got COVID? Why well, are we punishing Northwestern? Why are we punishing yeah. Penn State and other, other programs who are doing the correct thing and we're just like, oh, we can't help it. It's COVID. It's like if these kids follow the protocol, they won't be getting COVID. You know, and, and I think that I think that if you can prove that you know something was happening among these players, like there's absolutely no reason that Washington State should be punished, and, and the punishment is losing that one game. And, and the Pac-12 is only playing six games, right? In a six games, yeah, or or, or it's a seven, seven, it's seven, seven. So 
you're already losing one game, you know, out of seven. You know, a 7-0 yep. team in the Pac-12 doesn't have a super strong bid to make it to the playoff in the first place. But they have some awesome. sort of argument. They have some sort of argument. You know, they're undefeated, you know, and, and they're Pac-12 team. I think if Oregon goes 7-0, they've got a real argument to make the playoff. But if a game for Oregon gets canceled because because Cal has, Cal has an outbreak or Cal has one player who gets it, and the Pac-12 handled this so poorly that one player gets it and, and the team as a whole can't play – then why is why should Oregon be punished for not being able to play that game? So they end up six and zero instead of seven and zero, and I think that six and zero has has a much worse chance at making the playoff than seven and zero does. Yeah, and then you have I'm not going to say any names. I mean, or anything like that because like I know this person Kevin and Warren. like no 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 we've had this person on the podcast and everything like that, and I've been following their tweets about this. Why does, like, an undefeated Big Ten champ does not deserve to get in if they only play five games? No. I, and I don't even think, Brandon, I, this might be controversial. If if the Big Ten champion does not play more than eight games, they do not deserve a spot in the playoffs. I agree. If a team does not play more than eight games, how – like, there's no way you can fairly say – that a 12-0 and BYU team is less deserving than a 6-0 and Wisconsin team. Right. They played double the games you did and won every game and dominated it, and you don't deserve it because you didn't follow the COVID protocols. You were the ones that screwed up y'all's schedule y'all stuff. Y'all's opponents didn't cancel, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that should be taken into account the playoffs. If you're undefeated and you didn't play more than eight games and it's your team's fault that y'all caught COVID and didn't follow the protocols, you should be punished by not being in the playoffs. And that's, that is the, that's how I feel about it because I feel like there's so many teams in, this, in the country right now that are being negatively impacted by COVID when they're doing the correct thing and they're living up to their promise that, hey, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to fight for our season. And then once you get what you want, you're not going to follow the protocols. Like I'm not saying Graham Mertz went out and got COVID because he did the wrong thing. But it's a little suspicious that that team had a COVID outbreak and Illinois didn't have a single positive test. Am I right? Yeah, you're right. So that means they're doing something outside the protocol to get COVID. And so you have to be extremely careful. I mean, you look at teams like Alabama. I mean, just like I'll knock on wood real quick. Alabama, Auburn, um, you're looking at a team like, um, well, Tennessee had one in the offseason, but not during the season. I mean, there's teams in the country that are big teams, Michigan, that have not had almost a single positive COVID test. Right. So why aren't those teams rewarded more than teams who are costing other people games? I mean, it and not following the protocols. So Clemson shouldn't be punished. They had one player test positive, and somehow Trevor Lawrence followed the protocol. And guess what, Brandon? Not a single other player missed because of Trevor Lawrence's positive COVID test. Yeah, yeah. But Graham Merce has positive, and damn near half the team is in quarantine. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I, I think I think there should be punishments. I think I think that should be a criterion this year. And Brandon, it's a COVID real year. We talked all we talked all year about how this year is different. There should be exceptions made. I think an undefeated. BYU or Cincinnati team that played double the games of a Big Ten or Pac-12 champ should get in over those two conferences. I mean, a thousand percent. A thousand percent. 
thousand percent. And I, it's going to piss off some of our Big Ten listeners, some of our Big Ten guests that we've had on here. I don't care. It is a fact that if you don't play eight games, you don't deserve a playoff spot. And you're like, well, bowl eligibility is six games. It's like, I don't care. That's a bowl game. That's not the playoff. You can go to Fiesta Bowl with six wins. I'm cool with that. Put the Big Ten champ in the Rose Bowl with six games. <clears throat> but they're not getting in the playoffs, in my opinion. No, they don't I, deserve it. They didn't play enough games. You're right. You're absolutely right. But, guys, that is a wrap on this episode. We brought you guys – you know, we were a day late, Brandon, but we delivered a mega-long episode here for everybody. It was a wild week, man. We had a lot to talk about, a lot of breaking news coming out of the SEC and all around the country today. We'll be back, guys, Thursday, week 11 preview. I can't believe it's week 11, man. It's flying by. We got huge games on the horizon, guys. Big, big national ramifications for some of these games. So we'll be back to cover it all here. Follow us, like, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We are available literally everywhere. You can find links to the podcast at bluebloodspod.com, Instagram at the underscore bluebloods, Twitter at the underscore underscore bluebloods, Facebook at the bluebloods pod. Go follow us there. You can get all the updates on episodes, live streams, uh, article posts, all that good stuff. So make sure to go uh, follow us on all those social media platforms. But guys, we will be back soon. But for right now, we out. <laughs>